You're listening to Felony Podcast with your host, Dave Dahl, on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. My name is Mark Grimes, co-founder of Startup Radio Network. Also with us in the studio, Dave's partner in crime, Lad Justison. And here's a man with a plan, leader of the band, buff and tanned, Dave, the killer bread man, doll. Yeah, Bob really got good eyes, doesn't he? He does. Welcome to the Felony Inc. podcast. Coming to you live from Portland, Oregon, we share stories that show again and again that there is light at the end of the tunnel, that happiness and success are a state of mind, not the result of material gain or fame. Don't get me wrong. I like making money, but it's really learning to cherish the journey with all of its ups and downs that I call success. Our best guests on Felony Inc. have discovered the amazing power of accountability and have converted adversity to wisdom and a success mindset. Most of our guests have been convicted of felonies and are now honest, hardworking entrepreneurs, or at least they say they are. Right? If they say they are... We well, don't know for sure if they're being honest. We got to take them at their word. We got to take them at their word. <laughs> owning, owning up for my past mistakes and the willingness to work harder than anyone else, especially Lad, has, has been essential to my own triumphs. If you're not willing to do that, might as well have, you know, winning the lottery as your life plan. Right, Lad? That's right, and I'll win it. <laughs> yeah, you will. That's, you already did just by meeting me. Ah. That's how good our, your odds are, really. You know, uh, positive change isn't easy. Well, then I won it, didn't I? Positive change isn't easy. What is transformation? It's a MFR. <laughs> <laughs> you know, on this show, we can say whatever we want, but Lad's too scared. So, uh, so far, no cuss words today. That's really, that's, that's good. That's good for, for us. It is. Once again. Well, we should fucking change that. Yeah. <laughs> there we go, buddy. Uh, nice. I told Larry the other night, you know, just be yourself. And Larry's being himself, and we like that. So once again, my co-host is Little Lad Justison, my right-hand ex-con knucklehead. Lad has turned his life around, and he hasn't been able to do much about that face. <laughs> so, hey, so what if his birth certificate is an apology letter from a condom factory? <laughs> it's what's inside that counts, right, laddie? That's right. But you know what? I won a lawsuit against that condom factory. <laughs> That's right. That's a good one. It is. You should have sued your parents. I did. I did sued them, too. Yeah. And I should sue you, too. For something, well, I'm, I'm not kinda, sure what. I'm kinda, I'm for being his daddy, I don't I'm know. I'm his prison pappy. There you go. That's what I was. Well, maybe. Oh, jeez, that was going down a real wrong <laughs> hard road. Maybe, maybe Larry can give me some insight on that. Well, lad, you've been, you haven't been feeling too good, right? Oh man, I'm still sick today, but uh, I don't know what it is—some kind of a cold or flu or something. But on the on the plus side, it has made my voice a little deeper. And it's a good radio sound. What do you think? No, because it's got that kind of raspy nasal sound to it. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's I enough. Don't know, I don't know how you'd have made Kelly. Uh, I don't know. It might have been closer. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's enough out of land. That's enough. Our guest today on the phone from Florida is Larry Loughton, ex-felon creator of the Reality Check program. The program has four parts. The number one, telling the story of Larry Lawton's prior life. Number two is uh, showing potential offenders what prison is really like, not what you see on TV. Three, showing them what they will lose, that is freedom, family, etc. Four, showing them how to make better choices and avoid bad associations. That's right. And Larry has been featured on ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, MSNBC, and CNN. 
And I gather that Larry is the first ex-felon to be sworn in as an honorary police officer for his work helping law enforcement, courts, schools, businesses, and families. That's right, Dave. So just remember, if you offend this guy, he will arrest you. <laughs> well, you know, you got you guys a great introduction, but I, I, let me jump in and tell sure. you a little bit different stuff. And, and, and maybe this is what made me feel a little bit better. I'm actually the only ex-con who's ever recognized on the floor of Congress. Right. And when that happened, I said, hold on, guys, there's more felons on this floor of Congress who haven't gotten caught <laughs> than me. And all my <laughs> friends. Uh, nice. So, but it, it, it's really funny. It, it, it was a funny story. When I, when I got uh, sworn in as an honorary police officer in Lake St. Louis, Missouri, I developed a program when I got out of prison. And it's a great story how I did it. Uh, I get out of prison in 2007, August 24, 2007. And I was in from... 1996 to 2007 on that bid. I was in there from uh, 34 years old. I got out of 46 years old. And I was in maximum security prison. I wouldn't rat. And I still believe a person's word means everything. And to this day, and that's how I'm going to explain how I even got in a courthouse. But how I started doing what I was doing, a friend comes up to me and says, hey, Larry, I need a favor. So what the fuck? You want me to break somebody's legs or something? Listen, I just got out of the joint. Leave me alone. I'm just trying to, you know, stay out for a little bit. He goes, no, no, I caught my 16-year-old son smoking dope, dope. And he said, Dad, where the fuck have you ever been? I said, your son told you that? I'll talk to your kid. I went and took pictures. And uh, pictures, you know, I, I really believe I'm a blessed guy, uh, guys, because you guys well know this and people listen and know. You can't take the pictures I have in my program me with gang members, me with in the joint, on the yard. You can't do that anymore. It's, it's a no-no in the system. So anyway, I take all these pictures, friends of mine who are dead, guys who, you know, got stabbed, some kid, guys got killed, some guys got uh, died because of the me lack of medical care in prisons and stuff of that nature. So I take the pictures together, and I sit down with this kid, and I said to the you know, kid, I said, you told your father where the fuck he was? Let me tell you where the fuck I just came from. That's the only cursing I did in the whole program. Anyway, I started telling the kids stories about friends of mine who were dead, who died, who got stabbed, and I was there, and how close you are as a celly when your celly dies, and that's a story I'll tell in a bit. But So I'm sitting there, and I tell this kid, and I get up. I was, I was with him for a couple hours, and the dad was a golf pro, and I'm a golfer. And I left, and he says, hey, Larry, really appreciate it. I said, just let me know what happened. Two, about two weeks later, 10 days later, something like that, he calls me up and says, hey, Larry, I don't care what you, you do with your law. I also got enough credits to be a lawyer. Can't be. A, I'm a licensed paralegal as well, but I can't be a lawyer because I'm a felon. So he says to me, he goes, you, I don't care what you do with, with, with your law. He goes, my kid come up to me and said, Dad, I don't want to go where Mr. Lawton went. He ended up getting his kid help and his kid turned around. And he said to me, and he gave me a hundred bucks. I'll never forget that. And hey, I didn't have no money. I just got out of the joint. So he said, can I give your number out to people? I said, sure. So people start calling me and they give me a hundred bucks to speak to their kid. I'm like, wow, this is pretty good. You know, I'm making money. I'm not killing myself. I'm talking to kids about my experiences in prison and what really goes on. That's how I developed the program. But I end up getting a phone call from the courthouse. I get a phone call. I'll never forget the lady's name, Jean Band. She goes, hey, Mr. Lawton, uh, Judge uh, Reimer would like to see you. I said, I'm not seeing no judge. She goes, no, we heard you talk to kids and, and, and young people, and the judge wants to see you. I said, listen, do you got a warrant? I'm not seeing no judge. Unless you got a warrant, I'm not seeing a judge. She goes, no, I think you're missing the point. We don't want to, you know, we're not going to stop you. We just want to know what you do. I end up saying, okay, I, I go see her. My nephew, who since passed, showed me how to do a PowerPoint. I had no idea even how to use a phone, guys. And you all understand this. When I went to prison in 96, I had the gray, heavy phones that I used to be able to beat people with. The Motorola phones. Yeah, yeah. You know, the big, they call yeah. them the brick. Early 90s. I could have did a commercial for those phones, you know, beat somebody and make a phone call. Yeah. So anyway. Lad Keith did one of those into prison. Yeah. Oh, wow. You, got one of the, you didn't suitcase that one, did he, you? He's got it going on, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I end up telling the kid, I end up uh, going to the courthouse. The judge says, I'm in the back of the courtroom in the judge's chambers, and I do this little PowerPoint, and this is on a Friday. 
I'm sitting there, and uh, Monday I, they asked me if I want to stay for the rest of the meeting. I said, no, nah, I want out of here. I didn't feel good. You know, I'm in a courthouse. When I was in courthouse, I was in handcuffs. So I didn't like that. So anyway, I leave. I go home Friday, Monday morning. This is a Friday. Monday morning, I get a phone call from the lady at, at, at the courthouse, Jean Ben. She goes, Mr. Lawton, I got to give you a heads up. Judge Ryman sends two people to your program. What fucking program? I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. From there... I actually developed, right now, we have the number one program in the United States helping young people. In fact, I'll be uh, in November here, I'm going to be speaking to a CEO of a Canada company, and we're going to partner with that company to expand to Canada as well. And it's amazing because now I actually show people, and I developed the four-part program you mentioned in the beginning of the show, you know, what, what my life or prison is really like. Mm-hmm. what you're going to lose and that's your family and, stuff. and then avoiding and dissolving bad associations which is you know making good choices to not go back don't get in the car with the kid with a gun don't get in the car with kids with drugs because you're going to prison and eventually you're going to prison and then it's then you're in a different field of view you're in my field of view i as i tell people and you guys know this there's two people in prison it's predators and prey mm-hmm. i was a predator i didn't prey on people but i was a predator I was uh, uh, well, you didn't get preyed on, right? I was a violent guy. I was. I went to prison for not telling. I I was in the hole a lot for fighting. So get caught with shanks and, and and a lot of the things that happened in prison, and I I didn't prey on people, but I was a, a predator. Man. So the, and the people who were preyed, I tell these young kids, I said, listen, you're under twenty five. I don't give a fuck how big you think you are. You're prey. You just don't know the system. You don't know what's going to happen to you. You don't know how you're going to be manipulated. Taking advantage of You don't know everything that's going to go on in a prison. But how I developed that now, I deal with judges. I I just yesterday, just yesterday, I I was in the courthouse, and I'm in the back of the courtrooms. And, you know, the judge calls me up to the bench. Then he says, okay, let's take a break. Go back into the chamber. Start talking about a lot of different things. And, And it's amazing. I go from... Oh, our life, and you guys all know that, that, that your listeners will know the crime life, the, the pressure of it. And, and people think there's no pressure. I, don't, I was worth millions of dollars. I was the biggest jewel robber in the country, still known to this day. I robbed between 15 and 18 million in diamonds and jewels. I was caught by the major case squad from Quantico, Virginia, the FBI. They're good. Don't let anybody kid you. They're good. They know what they're doing. They got the resources, and they'll never quit. And I got ended up getting uh, indicted on, in four different states and they, in federal. And I was in state fed feds. I love that line. Oh, you were in the fed. That was easy. No, when you're talking maximum security prisons, it's harder. And the reason it's harder is because there's nowhere to turn. There's nowhere to turn. I tell people who are in a state prison, if you have a problem with overcrowding or the, uh, bad food, you file a writ to the federal court and a federal judge yeah. will order that prison to do whatever he wants when you're in federal prison the federal judge is never going to go against something where he's sentencing somebody to so you lose you have no recourse and, and people don't get that until they've been into both and then you you know you're fighting and you, they were putting three and four guys in a cell and, and it was just i mean obviously i just i just got an article and i i'll send it to anybody who wants to know contact me an article about a guy, they just cut his uh, liver and cut his intestines out of his body. Three guys in a cell. They were locked in, and two guys cut his liver out and cut his intestines and put it around the, the door window. I mean, it, it's just sick, sick shit that goes on in there. You guys know like, that. Sounds like The Walking Dead or something to me. Yeah, you know what? I, I often look at that. And then you see the guys that they, they know are fucking mental cases, and what do they do? They doorzine them up. You know, they, they yeah. give them all the shit, and they're walking around there like zombies. Soften them up and, a little bit. Well, sadly, you know, our prison system have turned into mental institutions. And uh, yeah, that's part of what I, I talk about. Yeah. So uh, so why don't you tell us uh, just a little bit about about your, you know, coming up, you know, in the early days. Can you tell us a little bit how that how that happened? Cuz I'm not going to I'm not going to let you run this show, Larry, you know. You're doing a pretty good job, but I'm going I'm going I'm going to interject here and there. So, can you, you Please do. Please do. Come on, Dave. <laughs> you give it your best no. shot. And tell us tell us a little bit about about your upbringing, would you? Yeah, sure. I, I grew up in the Bronx in Brooklyn, New York, you know, and I grew up with the gangsters, the wise guys, the guys 
that you know used to used to look up to and you know i was a young kid 12 years old doing football tickets and doing all the illegal stuff robbing and 14 years old robbing cars ended up actually getting robbing cars when i was 17 and ended up you actually mean like you were stealing the actual cars or stealing oh yeah stealing yeah. actual cars okay. bringing them to chop shops mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah we were bringing ch cars to sh getting 500 bucks for and now this is 78 in 1978, you know, here we are. So, shit, things are hitting the fan, get arrested. And they give you options back then that you can go in the military or go to prison. I ended up going in the military. I ended up going to the Coast Guard. I scored very high on the test. Going to the, going to the Coast Guard and got out. I got hurt in the Coast Guard. I ended up getting uh, falling 30 feet on a ship out in the Bering Sea. Actually, I, I, used to, I was stationed in Hawaii. Not far from you guys. I mean, miles, but it's all the water between us. But the we used to go from Hawaii to Alaska every three months. So I was in Alaska for three months, in Hawaii for three months. Mm. I was on a ship called the Cutter Jarvis. That After fun. we did that, I love that. I, I got out. That. Oh yeah, I love Alaska. Oh, is Alaska beautiful? Oh. I thought you, I'm, I'm in Hawaii. I would like you know, Hawaii is. No, I've never Hawaii stayed at, in Hawaii long enough. You know what I mean. But anyway, I don't want to distract. Yeah, you. you that's okay, Dave. That's okay. You get cabin fever. Uh, you get on that island, and but the best thing about Hawaii is Maui. And you get that Maui Wowie. Hawaii, mm. it's called Pakalolo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's weird, okay. but Pakalolo. But anyway, as going up, so then I get hurt. Get, get out of the service. I actually get retired. And what am I doing? I'm back in Brooklyn, um, bartending and taking action and uh, muscle for a card game. And I used to just protect the card game and be one of the guys there doing that. After that, kept growing up, growing up. So when I say growing up, I mean in the crime business. I started learning more scams, more uh, crimes, robbing. Uh, the guy who grew up with me in that business, he was the drug dealer and I was the robber. We would rob everything from trucks to stores to, uh, you know, uh, department, even big department stores. So you would rob it and fence it, fence it with him, right? Is that no, you know? no, he was the drug dealer. We had a fence as well. Mm, okay. We also had a guy who was a fence as well. And, you know, this is a great, a great thing. When I ended up going, then I ended up starting robbing. My first jewelry store that I robbed, I robbed between 18 and 20 jewelry stores. Over time. 15 and 18 million. And my first robbery was a setup and it was a the guy wanted the insurance money for yeah. it and he ended up getting it's all in my book i have a book um uh, sounds like a great book redemption gangster yeah, redemption, redemption. Pretty yeah. wild book too. It's uh there actually I'm in talks with Leo Rossi who just did the uh Gotti movie for a movie with my book. But that's a process that it just I let it keep going and I won't sign deals that are that are gonna lock me down. But getting back to that, so I robbed, uh, robbed more, and then I said, wait a minute, I can make money at this. I started robbing jewelry stores, and I am, and everybody, I was hooked up with the Gambino crime family, so I had my protection, I had my people, and I used to take my jewelry. When I robbed the jewelry store, and I robbed them up and down the East Coast, I'm still known to this day as the biggest jewel robber in the United States. And when I did my robberies, I used to have the, the, the jewelry out of my possession within 24 hours, out, gone. A lot of my, my stuff from the East Coast ended up on the West Coast. I knew that from our fences. And uh, so I robbed and robbed, and, and I ended up, and everybody does, ended up getting caught six years later. Uh, in 19, actually, I got caught in 96. I started about 89, so seven years later. And uh, after I got caught, I wouldn't tell. I mean, they wanted everybody. I ended up doing four 12-year sentences, and I beat a life sentence. I beat a gun charge. Otherwise, I wouldn't be they, out here uh, talking to you guys they, now. Did they just run concurrent? Or yeah, they, run, they ran my concurrent, not wild. Right. Uh, they ran four 12-year sentences concurrent, and uh, I beat the gun charge. If I don't beat the gun charge, it's called a 924C and in, feds, the, in the yeah. federal statute. Once, if I didn't get that, I would have got 100 years. So I'm uh, I was, like I said, guys, I'm lucky. I, I barely um I barely avoided the feds this my last time because of my armed career criminal status. Oh they, yeah. They said they were gonna send me under ACC and I was gonna do a gun beef and that and do uh basically twenty years minus that fifty four days a year they give you. 
Uh, yeah, they give you nothing. The feds give you nothing. You're doing 85% of the time. Yeah. So I did. Uh, I ended up pleading out to like a 10-year deal for uh, or state time. And anyway, uh, it's not about me. But no, 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 and that's good, and I'm glad you did that because a lot of guys aren't smart. They think you can beat it. No, man. You know we know yeah. what we did wrong. I well, the thing was, I you, you know you, you're like you're you're sitting there telling yourself, well, the shit I'm pleading to, I didn't do, but then. You know, all the other stuff that I got away yeah, with. Yeah, got away with. Yeah, yeah. so I just got to go ahead and do this, even though it's bullshit. Uh, you know, so anyway, Lad's got to run his neck for a second. That's right. CPA dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. You can find them at cpadudes.com. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and we'll send you a special surprise. Seriously, we will. Okay, whatever you say. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live, as if they're right there in your office. And with Ruby's mobile app, you easily control just how they screen, transfer, and take your messages. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com forward slash startup radio to sign up, or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code STARTUPRUBY. That's STARTUPRUBY. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you and get a hundred and fifty dollar credit. Yeah, what what's what's a hundred and fifty dollars gonna buy? Tell well, me, Dave. It, it, I don't know. You're kind of a you know you're kind of spoiled. So hundred fifty yeah. hundred fifty bucks is like you know throwaway. You wipe your ass with that much. Well, it could buy. Nah, well down here you could buy a good pen that's eighty eight percent THC at the medical marijuana <laughs> yeah. store. You can buy a couple. <laughs> yeah, we're, you know, lads just spoiled is what I'm saying. I'm you not know. spoiled. Yeah, he's got so much freaking money that 150 bucks <laughs> doesn't mean nothing to him. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> wow, that's that's surviving another week right there for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you're the one that said what's 150 bucks by. So well, that's thinking, what started. Opened a can of worms. Well, I thought maybe you knew a little bit about the company, and uh, you know they could go in there and get like a, a, a ring or uh, something. Well, like I that. haven't learned much about the company yet. I'm hoping that I do over time, but it's kind of like I'm just reading something. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, so yeah, you know well, that's yeah, what I, I'm I think doing. you need to research you just these the good up. people. People who uh, you just support need to, us. You just need to shut up. Okay. <laughs> let's let's well, get listen, back. The longer you talk with Ring, they like it. Are you <laughs> <kidding>? <laughs> let's get back to our friend here. Hey, Larry, where were you at? Where were you at? You were talking about no, no, your we, first, we, uh, we, when you got busted, and you got two, yeah, we, two well, twelve. Yeah, we were talking about the four twelves. The four twelves. And I'll never forget, you know, I thought, okay, uh, I, I was actually in uh, Pennsylvania. I end up what they call Rule 20. Rule 20 means they take all your cases and bring them to one court. So they took my cases from Florida, Georgia, Maryland, and I thought it would be okay. And, and I'd go to Pennsylvania because they're used to more violent crimes as an armed robber. So I ended up uh, going to four, getting 412s out of Pennsylvania. And I ended up going to Lewisburg. You know, I was in the holdover in Lewisburg, uh, Pennsylvania. It's all penitentiaries. And the guard says to me, looks at me, you know, I'm going through, and he goes, and that was a zoo place. I'm telling you, people throwing shit through the doors, and, and, and it was just a crazy, what they, they called it the gauntlet when they're taking shit and stuff and putting it in shoe, uh, shampoo bottles and squirting it on the administration of people. So we're going through there. That's a major assault. That, nowadays, yeah. that's like, uh, at least where oh, I'm yeah, from, yeah. That's, that's, uh, that'll give you some time. Oh, absolutely. It's still so helps. So, but people don't care. You give me life, I could care less. Yeah, either. that's true. Well, you know, so, you know, Larry Dave does that to himself. Well, that's kind of sick, you know. And I'm a pretty sick guy. No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, don't listen to Lad. Uh, no, that's all right, Lad. You jump in there. So I, I end up going there, and then the guard looks at me and says, "You know, he goes, hey, man, who did you piss off?" I go, "What are you talking about?" He goes, "They're sending you to Atlanta, USP Atlanta." I said, "What?" He goes, "Yeah, you're going to Atlanta." And this is a guard telling me, he goes, you pissed somebody off. 
boy, when I hit Atlanta, that was the worst prison in the United States at the time. There was a murder a month for 18 months. Not counting overdoses, not counting suicides. A murder a month. It was just a psycho place. And, Real prison and, there. Oh, yeah. It, it was off the charts. And uh, it was, you know, there were a lot of what they call kill zones. You know, blind spots, uh, mm. stuff of that nature. So it's an, old, it's an old place, right? Yeah, it was built in 1903. Atlanta mm. was built. It was actually the first prison built. Everyone think Leavenworth was started just before that, but then they finished Atlanta. And Atlanta had the most poured concrete out of any prison or any any structure in the world at that time, because it had 40 foot walls around the whole facility. 20 feet underground, three feet thick, the wow. wall. And it was just crazy. As a matter of fact, I, I looked, I, when I was in that prison, the guard, I worked outside cleaning up, and uh, the one guard took me down where they had Tommy Silverstein. And uh, t if anybody don't know, Tommy Silverstein was the founder of the Aryan Brotherhood, mm -hmm. and he ended up, he was at that prison. And when Tommy Silverstein was there, he what they was on what they call no human contact. He didn't see a, a person, a little put it through a door, close the door, open his door. He would take his food. And guys who worked in the mail room at that time said, man, his stuff coming out of that, like he did artwork, was really, really sick stuff. Christine, I think, has been in prison now. He's still alive. He's still in prison. And he's been in what they call no human contact for uh, since 1980, so 40 he's years. Is it nuts. Now? Almost 40 years, and he's never seen human contact. I mean, it's it, think of how messed up his yeah, brain. Yeah, he's got to be messed but, up. Oh yeah, he ended up killing a guy named Cadillac, who was the head of the Black Panthers, and a and a guard and a guard's a lieutenant and his son. So a guard, a lieutenant, and his son was a guard. They killed them both. He ended up getting slipping cuffs, which are easy to do. I mean, I could do that. And he slipped the cuffs. He ended up killing. This is all in the hole. In the hole. So he did all that while in the hole. And, and he's now on what they call no human contact. He's been on that since 1980. And that's just, I don't. I, I think about that. Obviously, seems like some guys, guys, seems like some guys are just made to do time, you know? No, no. You, you know, you said a great thing, Dave. And, Len, you guys will understand this. There are people in prison, I tell every day, I don't want them ever getting out. I don't want them living next to you. I don't want them living next to my mother. I don't want them living next to anybody I know because they're psychopaths. Mm -hmm. I explain Atlanta like this. When I was in Atlanta, we had 2,000 inmates. 880 had life sentences. Out of that 880, about 200 fight their case legally. They're doing law. They're in. They're trying to get out. They're doing stuff. About four hundred and fifty or so, they fucking find a lover. They live their life. They, you'll see the punks. They'll shave. You know, they'll tattoo their eyebrows and do their things. And they go work in prison industries. And they literally live their life. And then you have about two hundred who are psychopaths, and I mean off the charts, looking to kill people escape do dope that's all they do they're, they're and i knew them i got pictures in my program with me with them one guy uh, well that's the kind of stuff people. you need to scare them kids right there well you know that, that that's what you say is something true but you know dave what i don't do and i want people who listen to this to understand this yeah. the reason we named the company reality check is because i don't yell and scream right i don't scare i tell the truth i give them reality i don't sugarcoat it don't mind me. I tell them about how when I was there and a kid, we walked back in the unit and all of a sudden we hear screaming. And I mean screaming like you wouldn't believe. Screaming. We knew who it was, but we couldn't get to the next tier to help them. So the guards are screaming, lockdown, lockdown, lockdown. And you got to run to your cell because if you get locked out of your cell, you're automatically going to the box. You're automatically going to shoot or whatever they're calling on the show. So... We go. We ended up going to you know run into your cell. You try to get ice or you try to get something hot in the microwave before the guards are locking because we had what they call turnkeys, meaning there was no electric doors. The prison was so old; it was actual doors they close and come mm. by and lock the key. So anyway, that the sound stops. We thought somebody got killed up there. We know whose cell it was, and we said, "Oh shit, man!" You know we couldn't help him. You know he thought he got killed. Anyway, the next morning, I often tell people this story. I tell every morning when I was in prison for 11 straight years in maximum security prisons, I never, ever slept past 6 o'clock in the morning. 
I got up, I put my boots or my sneakers on because I don't know who I pissed off the night before. I don't know if I walked by a cell and I looked in, I saw a guy fucking another guy or a guy shooting dope in his arm. And that guy's thinking, hey, Lawton wants to steal my girl. For lads, Lawton's going to drop me, you know. Actually, I'm not going to do that. That was Lad's idea of porn when he was in there, was walking by, <laughs> by somebody's cell. It was cell. real porn. So yeah, we're yeah. doing that, Dave, and, and at 6 o'clock in the morning we get up we're sitting around waiting for the unit to call and a dude walks back from the medical department and he says he goes hey guys you gotta read this so we read it and it said i'll I'll almost quote it inmate shane and his last names anus was cut with a sharp object from the top of his anus until his scrotum and seminal fluid is found two guys took a razor blade cut this kid's ass from the top of his ass until his balls and they fucked him and it, it to this day it gives me the chills because I know who he was and I and I know the the fucking sounds of that screaming and it, it, the reason I say that is because it, it it fucked my head up but the kid didn't die I know they sewed him up and and he went to another prison but how fucked up do you think that kid is today mm. who they did that to and I look at that and those are the psychopaths that you're dealing with and, and I I look back at that and I say why the fuck am I alive you know. I'm here. I'm alive to help people to do what I do. To, there, but I don't scare people, Dave. No. I don't. We, that's why well, we don't care. A little bit. You do. It sounds like you got to show them. You, you got to give them a little bit of fear, though, right? Because I mean, no, it's not fear. It's reality. And you yeah. know, if we if we try, listen, here, Dave. You're a big guy. I'm a mm. big guy. If we yell at people, they're gonna do two things. They're gonna have two kind of thoughts. It's called fight or flight. Yeah. If they think they can beat you, they're gonna try to fight you. If they don't think they can beat you, they're going to think of a way to get out of the situation. Get gone. Most kids will put up a wall, look at you and say, yeah, fuck you, old man, or whatever, and not get the message that I'm getting through to them. But when I tell them that story of cutting the kid's ass and that stories and show them pictures of the kid, then they open their mind and they're able to absorb the good information you and I can give them. You, me, and Lad have an experience that a lot of people don't have. They have to understand that if they keep fucking up, making the choices they make, they're going to end up where we did. Because we did. We ended up doing the fucked up things. We ended up going to prison. Why? We know we were wrong. We're not stupid. We're not sitting here saying, oh, man, I got beat by the system. I was innocent. I laugh at that. Like you said, you made a great point, Dave. You said in the beginning, you know what? I pled to something that I know I didn't do, but I did so many other things. I'm lucky. Because yeah. even me, it's I did all that part Absolutely. Of, part of growing Absolutely. up is just is just owning it and let, you know and taking the personal power. That's what really matters. Is Absolutely. Owning. And you got to take responsibility for that yeah. action. And and we done it. My point is, we I don't try to yell and scream and, and, and curse people out and say you fucking idiot, you fucking get. I'm the fuck you in prison, and it's, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say, no, listen, no, you want to go where I went. This is what's going to happen. I'm not going to try to sit and scare you. I'm telling you fact. I'm telling you, if you keep fucking up, you are going here. And you know what? There's a 90% chance you're going to get fucked in the ass, or there's a 90% chance you're going to get manipulated to get fucked in the ass, or there's a 90% chance that you ain't getting out the same person you got in. And and that's a fact. That's I'm, I'm just giving numbers. So, you know, we, we know it, but... You know, we're a little different. We have a different personality. We're a little bit a personalities. We're driven. But you go to the wrong places, they don't give a shit. All right. Hey, um, Larry, I, I got a question, you know. So you got out. These guys approached you <clears throat> to help, you know, with their with their kid. And, and that's a great thing. But there's got to be a point before that where you decided, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. This isn't for me. Uh, right. So where was that at? How did that really happen? Important. That's an important Well, great, que- great question, uh, uh, Land. Great question. Here, here's what happened. When I got out of prison, I said to myself, my, actually, I just looked, my dad had Alzheimer's. So I, I went to my mom and dad's house. I had nothing. I went into prison as a millionaire, and I got out $70,000 in debt. So I went to my mom and dad's house love me dearly to this day I, I help my mom i love her more than anything she's the one i take care of today you know it's my mom but anyway so i got out and i said i gotta take care of my parents you know my as everybody knows and you'll understand this land and dave 
when I went to prison, everybody leaves you. I was with celebrities. Mm. I was a millionaire. I had a limousine. I had driver. I had multiple homes. I had multiple cars, horses, boats. And you know what? When you go to prison, it's all fucking gone. And so are the people who you thought you were friends. Hey, so the people who were there. Too, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. Everybody. And, you know, my dad and mom were there. And my dad visited me. Well, I got out. And my dad, my dad was my best friend. And my dad ended up having Alzheimer's. And I was going to take care of him with my family, my sisters and brothers. And, you know, we were a close family. And sure enough, I did. And it was sad because I look back at that. And because of my choices, I lost the best years of my dad's life from, you know, the 11 years I was straight. Not talking about the fuck-ups beforehand. I'm talking about that, that long stretch. Mm-hmm. So my, my dad, you know, I took care of my dad. And what you said, then, what was the point, you know, where you said, I got out of prison saying I'm not going to go back. And my that one guy, when he first asked me, that's why I kind of got, like, offended. Who the fuck you want to think you want me to get back into crime? Because I went to prison with a good reputation. I didn't rat on anybody. I don't believe in that to this day. Mm-hmm. I went away with a good word. So when I went away... That's part of owning up to what you've done. Uh, yeah, exactly. Not telling I owned up to my, my responsibilities. And that's hard to do when you're facing life. Don't, don't let, let you get it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because they don't take care of you. I was with the mob. That's all bullshit. All that's they true. Take care of you. Nobody fucking... Hey, all them guys, they, they ended up telling on each other, seems like. Yeah. And or you dying. know what happened? Oh, fuck. I knew Sammy Gravano. I know all those guys. And Sammy was a killer. And he ratted. He flipped mm-hmm. like a fucking it's a pancake. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're sitting there anyway. I said to myself, I can't. I can't go back. I got to give it a whirl. But you know what? I also realized that I had the, the, the support to do that. So I do feel so much for people who have nobody. Right. You know, uh, people who have no mom, they but die, I, they, you know, stuff of that nature. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, that is a very good point. I also wanted to mention um, that I saw you this morning. I saw uh, one of your clips uh, on the news. You were on something. Um, I forget which show. And you said, you know, they asked you what it took. And you talked about hitting bottom. And oh, yeah, I, I, I tell everybody this. And mm-hmm. let me explain the bottom. Uh, I'm glad you asked that question, Dave. Everybody has to hit a bottom. And yeah. let me explain the bottom because people don't get what I mean by that. One person who's a good person have three drinks, be a little tipsy, be on the way home, almost swerve and miss and almost hit an old lady. He gets home. He's shaken. He goes, I'm never going to fucking drink again. He hit a bottom. Another person driving home, same person, has three drinks. He gets arrested. He spends a night in a county jail. And he's fucking, fuck this, man. And he hits a bottom. Well, then you take Larry Lawton. Larry Lawton was arrested, was in jail. Like, you know, the bullshit beforehand, all that little time I did crap in and out. And then the big hit, I still didn't hit fucking bottom. I hit bottom when I was in the hole and my friend Jack Brown working, doing burpees, crossed next to me and we're talking through the vent. He says, brother, I love you. I'm checking out. And he fucking hangs himself and he kills himself. And I laid in my bunk and I was wondering, what the fuck? Why me? Why not me? And that what you just said so true. I hit a bottom at that point that was like very profound. And, and it was that point in my life where you say, "Wow, your life's got to be more worth more than it's." You, you know, you you got to help more people. You got to do some things. And you said some great things already in your show, Dave. Like you said in the beginning, money. You got to make money, but you know, it's also not everything. It's not when I was really fucking. It's not even the first. I thing. wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. It's part so, of survival having money, and it's great to have money. Uh, money's great, but you got to have something to have money for. You got to be yep, somebody. Absolutely, and it's not monetary because I get buying bigger. My sister told me this, you know, before she died. She said to me, you know, Larry, you, you God had plans for you. He goes, you kept buying the bigger things. You bought a boat. You bought two. You bought a house. You bought another one. You bought another one. You wanted cars. You bought multiple cars. You were searching for happiness, and you're never gonna find it you know through that monetary well yes it's great to have and great to 
to use and maybe in a positive way, but you need to find that purpose and whatever it could be a purpose of coming here and, and changing somebody's life on your show. Yeah. It could be somebody, you know, talking to people, doing my program or whatever it is. But what you just said is so profound and everybody has to hit that bottom. And once they hit that bottom, that's when true change, all we can do. And that the reason I'm all for rehabilitation and trying to help people and not incarcerating again, eventual incarceration has to happen because we have to progressively take a person and keep putting them at a bottom. What the, you know, here's the greatest part. Nobody knows their bottom, even the person. That's why this one system fits all and doesn't work because everybody's bottom is different. You and I have different bottoms than, than uh, Lad and, and uh, Alan, who's running the show. So Alan doesn't even has. have a bottom, I don't think. <laughs> you, know. you can actually he's see. Got one. Trust <laughs> me, he's got one. He don't know what it is, but he's got one. But it's funny. But, yeah, so we all have to try to help people get to their bottom. And that's what I do. First, I try to open their eyes to what prison is really like and what you're going to lose. And then it's a little bit hard. And then you might take a kid to a morgue or you might take a kid to a prison. And then that's a different bottom. Then you might have to leave the kid in there for a day or two or really fucking do something. I don't know. You know, everything keeps in progression until the kid. You know what? When the kid has to go to jail. That might be his bottom. I agree. You know? It so, took me four times in prison to hit right. my bottom. And, and then Lad, Lad got 20 on his first time. You know, and he'd been in and out of jail and stuff, but he got the 20 years, and uh, that was enough. He hit a him. bottom yeah. somewhere along. Lad, you had to hit your bottom. I don't know where, but I hit it somewhere. Everybody well, was know, actually hitting his bottom in there, but. Yeah. It's, well, wow. Anyway. So, you know, on. Larry, your story and Dave's story has a similar uh, aspect to it. When Dave was in there, um, there was a guy down a few cells from Dave that tried to kill himself and was unsuccessful. And, of course, he's going to have to... He tried one of those little um, razor blades, big razor blades. And it wasn't good. It just wasn't deep enough, you know? And so that that was the turning point for Dave right there because Dave realized, you know what? I, I've been thinking about killing myself, but if I tried to, I would probably just like the rest of my life mess like up, everything else I do, mess up killing myself and have to live with the scars for the rest of my life. And that's where Dave uh, finally decided to put a kite in uh, to uh, the psych department. That was my bottom. Um, my bottom was when I actually had enough balls. I, that's how I look at it now to just say, hey, I need some help. You yeah, know. and you know what, Dave? That's a, that's a strong thing to do because most people don't, and most people think they can do it alone. I don't care if it's business or I don't care if it's your show. I don't give a fuck what it is. We all need help, and we all need human contact, and we all need connections with people. Otherwise, you're fucking running against a wall, and you're going to get into a brick wall that's not going to go down. And I, I've thought of suicide. There's no question I could say that. And, you know, I'm glad I didn't do it. You know, you're laying there. I was in the hole for three years out of my 11, well, 15 total years. But 11 straight, I was in the fucking box fucking three years. I was in the box for 11 straight months. And if you don't think I was hitting my head against the wall, thinking, you know, I'm going fucking crazy seeing things. And it's there's no question. And you think, is this going to end, you know? And I couldn't do it today. I really couldn't. I don't think I could. Um, now, I got so many fucking things now in my head. I'm claustrophobic. I even get claustrophobic on planes, and I fly a lot. I got to now sit on an aisle seat. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I understand that stuff. I do. I get that. I get that sometimes. Hey, Larry, I got to take a break here, and then um, we're going to have to wrap up. So... Um, I'm going to let you come back in and give and plug everything that you want to because uh, we're going to run out of time. But first, I need to say today's episode of Felony Inc. podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this. That is press releases, editorial pitches, etc., and they offer a wide range of products uh, and PR, PR products and, and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package that's right for the future of your business, lad. Also, listeners, please leave Felony Inc. Podcast a review on iTunes. We might even read it on the air. 
motherfuckers. Hey, you said it. I, <laughs> I didn't even know. I didn't even know if you could uh, if you could say that big. A he word. always puts that stuff in mind, Larry. You know, he, he knows I don't like to say that stuff, but he'll throw it in there. <laughs> <laughs> See, it was originally it was originally written down for me to say, and I, I passed it to him. So anyway, uh, you know, let's. Larry, why don't we get your last words? We only have what? How much time do we have, Alan? Five minutes. Five, maybe five minutes. So let's uh, let's get let's, five minutes, man. This is longer than a TV shows. Five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's you accomplish. Know, let's let's make sure we accomplish what you want to accomplish. No, today. I, I got it. I got it, David. You know, I like you know. It's very people could look that up. I mean, I've done. The, I've been on the Daily Show with John Stewart, the Huckabee Show, the. You know, all this is actually if you look up the Daily Show and type in MBA Ethics Oath, I did the funniest skit that year and I've done a lot of stuff. Or if you look up Brooke Baldwin suitcasing and you'll you'll watch a funny clip of her face when I explain how to hide a knife up your rectum on national TV. But, uh, you know, I'm glad I'm here. And I'll tell you why, because you get more time to explain things in a more precise way and a more pro prolific way to help people and and i'm glad you have a a, a podcast that's like why we do it we I, do it because i, I love of it that. My, my stuff people can always find me at realitycheckprogram.com google larry lawton if you want it and then you'll find a bunch of stuff larry lawton l-a-r-o-y lawton l-a-w-t-o-n and my company realitycheckprogram.com we help so many people i do uh, seminars, I speak all over the country, and but doing what I'm doing today, trying to get the message out of what prison is like, what you guys are doing, and having the time, I really want to thank you guys, because you do get time to explain it a lot more than a lot of the shows you're on, whether it's Good Morning America or the shows I was on, it's a lot easier and a lot uh, better so you can get your thoughts together. Uh, with me, I just want to say, guys, you're doing a great job. I, it's fun to talk to two ex-cons who, who actually understand pretty much everything you're talking about. Yeah. Hey, hey, Larry. Trying, yeah. You know, um, I, I, you know, listening to your story and how, you know, you got out and, and, and this thing happened and, and you built on that. But in some ways, don't you think that the positive move you made there has been your saving grace? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's no question what you just said is so true. And if you don't, you got to take positives from negatives. Mm -hmm. If you don't take the positives from negatives, like I won't be around people who are negative. I won't be around Me people neither. who are fucking zapping the energy out of the room, I call it. Or, you know, oh, fuck this, fuck that, fuck, don't fuck yourself. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and I don't mean that to be nasty at no. all because I'm not. I just don't like to be around. But you just said it right, man. Is, is you got to have that positive. You got to take positives away from negatives. And if you don't, you're just going to be spinning your wheels and, and be a miserable prick for the rest of your life. That's absolutely and, right. And I don't want to be that way. I want to be more of a person that, that gives hope to people. You know, a judge said this to me once. He goes, Larry, as good as your program is, one of the biggest things people get to see is someone who is as bad as you who can change and you're showing not only law enforcement and, and, and professional people and congressional people and you're showing those people that there is hope with people who made bad mistakes and made bad choices for a long time so it wasn't like i made one bad choice of drinking that night i was a bad guy and i'm the first to admit that but people do change and i often tell it like this we're all around the same age i think and i tell yeah. people this you know what? When I was 20, I thought I knew it all. When I hit 30, I looked back and said, what an idiot I was at 20. When I hit 40, I looked back and said, man, I was still an idiot at 30. Yeah, when funny? I hit 50, <laughs> I said, am I ever going to fucking learn? Because I'm still <laughs> fucking up. Now I'm 57 years old, and, and I look back, and, I, and I'm learning every day. And when I stop learning, I think that's when we're, we're all in trouble. And, yeah. I, and I don't... You know, no, you weren't really a you weren't really a dumbass ten years ago. You just didn't know what you know now. And, Absolutely. And so once you start saying, "Well, yeah, I'm never going to be that guy. I'm never going to have it all figured out," then you don't start. You don't beat yourself up for being for you know for what you used to be. Um, no, no. I, what I meant. Is no, no. I I'm just talking. I'm and, just paraphrasing and, what you're saying, brother. That's yeah, all. you're you're 100 right because you know. Everybody keeps learning. And, you know, we're all different people. That's why I tell people, listen, if you can sit down and we can debate a topic, I don't care what the topic is, you can change my mind. Because 
I'm open to change. I've lo- I've watched my life change from Humility. 20 years old to 57 years old or from whatever, 12 years old, really starting. So when I look back at that and I say, I can change. And I think everybody, I think politicians need to do that. I think police officers need to do that. I think uh, we need to do that. People who are ex-cons think everybody sucks, you know, because we've gotten beaten by, I was beaten by cops until now I there's a lot of cops. They still dislike. Hey, lad, tell them, tell them what, what happens every time we see a cop and we're driving. Uh, especially shit. when I see two two cops uh, in a car. I say, hey, Dave, you know what? Those cops just looked at you like, hey, that guy needs a good beating. <laughs> duck. He says, duck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, that, uh, I'm going to tell a quick story for your podcast. I, I, I got out of prison in 2007, I told you so, on August 24th. December, I'm going to play golf with my buddy bought me golf clubs. I get up at 4.30 in the morning, and I'm driving to the to a restaurant. We're going to a Denny's before teeing off at 6.30. So who's up? I'm going to buy him a birthday card at a Walmart. I pull up to a light. A cop car pulls in front of me with its lights on. Oh, fuck. It says, pull into the goddamn gas station. I pull into the gas station. Another cop comes. Holy shit, I'm starting to shake. Another cop car comes. I know they've read the plate. Shit. I got an old beat-up car my dad gave me. A fourth car pulls up. I'm ready to run, guys. I swear to God, I was ready to fucking run. And all of a sudden, the cop walks up to the left side of the car, another one to the right side, and and had a lady with her. She looks into the car and said, it's not him. Holy fuck. But they, I swear but, to you. But they thought you were the guy at first. They thought I was a guy who robbed the seven. Well, you need to grow some hair or something, man. Maybe that'll help. Man, you did damn right. <laughs> <laughs> but don't grow it as long as mine because that doesn't work. No, either. I know. I, I, I can't. It would take me. I'd be dead before I get that long. <laughs> hey, check it out, Larry. You've been a great guest. Uh, I want to thank our guest, Larry Lawton, ex-felon creator of Reality Check Program. I mean, this guy's really great. So check out his website, Reality Check Program. Com. And next week, our guest is another ex-felon named Seth Sunberg. This guy is seven feet tall, and he uh, has a nutrition bar that he built that he created inside. It's called the Inside Out Bar. And uh, what do you think of that, lad? Well, you know wow. what? Coming up after the break is Latino Founder Hour with your hosts, Edgar Navis and Claudia Cardenas. Oh, we love these guys. Their podcast is usually in Spanish. So we don't pasa. understand a word they say. Nothing, but, but they're great. Yeah, and, and yeah, she's really nice looking, too. Yeah, she is. Thanks, hey, Larry. Larry. Thanks a lot, man. Hey, guys, thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank the engineer. Uh, good, good job. Thanks thank again. If, if you send me the pod, let me know, and I'll, and I'll make sure it's up all on my website everywhere. All right, buddy. Thank you. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.